And we are recording. I'm turning on my gaming computer next to me because for the very reasons I like having a cold apartment, I just like being cold in general is because it's so much easier to regulate your heat because your body regulating your heat causes heat. And so if your body's trying to cool down by default, it creates heat as a byproduct, which obviously is an imperfect system and it does manage to cool you down. But I've always liked just being cold because it's so much easier and instant to just throw on a hoodie or throw on a a blanket. Um, because of that, I like keeping my apartment cold, but sometimes it gets pretty chilly. Um, what I found is that my bedroom is about half the square footage of my apartment, and then my little studio is about half the square footage, or probably less, probably quarter the square footage of my my bedroom. It's walled in with moving blankets hanging from the ceiling. It's like a makeshift floor-to-ceiling cubicle. And because I have two computers in here, I have an iMac and a uh, in a in a in a gaming PC, um, and two monitors. I can get uh I can get this little tiny like room within a room. That is itself a room within a room, and the room is in the in the studio. So a room in a room, a studio in a bedroom in an apartment. It heats up much faster. Even just walking outside to the rest of the bedroom, it gets colder. And I kind of like keeping this little like cubby, like warm, because it's very easy for it to cool down. If I just open like the bedroom door for a minute it'll drop by like five degrees and then I can close it again and it stays nice and cozy. And then at the end of the night when I'm finished doing podcasting and I want to get under like several blankets, I'll just open both doors, the bathroom and the other door. And then the whole thing drops down immediately to like really within a couple minutes, the, the bedroom, the bedroom will drop from like 65 to 55 and the little studio will drop from like 75 to 55. Point of all of that is I have found that my PC is a is a great little space heater. So what I'll do, what the fuck, is I'll pull up a game right now, uh, Ghost Recon Breakpoint, and I'll dial it up to 4K, HDR, 60 FPS, and then I'll start a level, and then I'll just, I'll put my guy in prone camo mode, and then leave it there. And an X is a nice little heater. I found if you just pull up normal desktop, it doesn't do it. In certain games, Hitman does it well too. Games with high res HD. Oh, I really want to play this right now. High res HDR, high frame rate. Really gets it cooking well. There we go. Fuck all right. And then now it is running. So, little fun fact. This is a solo rant. This is uh, episode 971, I think. Friday, October 21st, 2022 at 3.51 p.m. Eastern Time. As of yesterday, I'm permanently banned from Twitter. for posting a link to episode 966. Which is very odd because I'm not like that active on Twitter. I'm really not, nor am I on Facebook. Or Instagram. And the reasoning is, is those are very seductive apps. They pull you in. As Elon Musk said on his first Joe Rogan interview, very limbic system centric, a lot of pictures, a lot of, a lot of curvy women and 
and muscly men and a lot of images that will make you hooked and eventually start feeling depressed and unworthy. But in the meantime, or in terms of Twitter, will get you outraged or whatever. They suck you in, which is by design. Um, and they keep you hooked. So because of that, and I've been doing it for almost the length of this entire podcast, not this solo, man. Oh, these blankets, they're not the same size, so I never get them just right. Um, is I download the apps at the end of the day and I upload the podcast. I just post the links to them and then I delete the apps. I've found that, uh, you know, discipline is good. And ideally I would not eat and I'd lose weight. The next best thing is realizing that you don't have the discipline. And so I just don't keep food in my apartment. Every day I go grab a meal at the end of the day. It also forces me to do intermittent fasting. I wish I had the discipline to just not open the apps, but I'm old enough and mature enough to realize that trial and fail- failure over hundreds of months, probably, I'm not strong enough to do that. Next best thing is to just remove them from the phone. So that being said, it's like I'm not really active on, and it's kind of funny. There's a reason why I keep Getter and Gab and Parlor and Truth Social on my phone because I don't fucking use them. There's nothing good about them, which in a way, I guess, speaks their own volumes. But the other ones are seductive, and I find myself scrolling even when I just get up and use the restroom. Oh, go to check Twitter. And I find myself getting angry at some PhD. And I'm like, what am I, why am I letting this person in my head? That being said, so I never, I never even, like, I just didn't keep it on my phone by virtue of the fact that I knew I would use it too much. But I've always just posted. Now, granted, sometimes I get shit faced and be like, you're all a bunch of commies, die. And, you know, I'm sure that didn't. I'm sure that didn't win me over in any popular circles, but I also haven't drank in over two months. So like, and I've posted interviews with Dr. Malone and Dr. McCullough. I mean, God knows how many times. And I, I don't do clips. I don't post clips on Twitter. Like, I'm, so I'm really not even like, I just, I'm both posting a link, but it's weird. I gotta, I gotta, I thought I was just suspended again. Because every once in a while, you know, somebody comments something and I'd be like, you're a dumb bitch or, you know, you're, you're a fat retard. Um, and I get suspended for hate speech. And that was that was always funny. But I realized the other night it, it was just like I couldn't like log in or something. I was like, oh, fuck. And I was just like suspended. And I was I just started laughing because I was like, I don't even know what I did this time. But I realized it said permanently suspended. So I, I appealed it and I was like, what did I do? And they're like, we don't condone violence. And I was like, me neither. What did I do? And they're like, we don't condone hate speech. And I was like, yeah, I'm with you on that, but I'm not sure what I did. And so I finally sent him another email and I was like, could you? So eventually you try to get them to like pull the mask off, which they won't because they're fucking communists. But like eventually I was like, can you tell me what I did so that I may be a better user of the Internet? And although I know I'm not allowed on Twitter ever again, like I'm not going to make another account. Can you show me what I did? Can you show me how I have sinned for being a white man, basically, and how I can be better so I don't I'm not offensive? And then that's when you realize that, of course, they don't actually give a shit about you being a better person or hate speech. It's all about you. Well, you're also, you know, we're, we're it will eventually come out. I don't know when it will come out years or decades from now that they got a massive sum of money from Pfizer or Moderna. It, just, it will. Um, and I do need to find that episode. There's an episode I think I did last spring. Where I was, 
I put out my own hypothesis. I was like, I don't think this is depopulation. I would imagine it's eventually going to come out that the government paid off big tech to work in collusion with big pharma. Uh, and it was just a revolving circle of everyone getting like stock buybacks because I had just read G. Edward Griffin's The uh, Creature from Jekyll Island about how like these bankers would just buy up newspapers in the early 1900s and they'd be like, J.P. Morgan's great. And, you know, at the bottom and fine print, like owned by J.P. Morgan. And so I made that kind of theory, and it's recently been coming out with uh, Judicial Watch's uh, FOIA requests about <clears throat> uh, the DHS, you know, working with uh, late night. T like, that wasn't any surprise that they were working with the late night shows. As Tim Dillon has beautifully said, late night TV shows are just a are, are just state propaganda now. It's Stephen Colbert dancing with a bunch of fucking vaccine or vaccine syringe eunuchs, just vaccine like that fuck that cock sucking pedophile but um i need to find that episode because i think i said it in like may 2021 and again it's not that it, it's not that it was some bold prediction prediction raytheon made money off the war in iraq yeah like, okay but i guess it's from my own ego but so i i, I emailed uh let's see if twitter got back to me let's see if if twitter twitter Okay, so uh, they originally said your account has been sus suspended and will not be restored because it was found to be violating Twitter's terms of services against our rules to promote violence against others, blah, 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 attack based on race, ethnicity, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, religious affiliation, age, di disability, or disease. So then I finally appealed and I said, I get that. Could you tell me which tweet it was just so that I may know, so that I may be a better person? To which they responded, your account has been suspended and will not be restored. So, um, I don't know. Well, I'll just reply. You guys are faggots. Can I reply to this? Oh, yeah, I can. Burn. Inhale. You commie dykes. There we go. But... I got nothing against dykes, and I got nothing against gay people. Go for it. Go wild, dude. More power to you. And I sincerely mean that. Um, regardless of the last uh, several minutes of incoherent rambling, um, Um, regardless of the last several minutes we go here in rambling the whole purpose of this episode I wanted to do was um about deep time and uh, the first time I'd ever heard that term I think I was in 7th grade or 8th grade Miss Bell and I remember she was teaching us about like you know the history of the earth or something and, you know, being a seventh grader at the time who, you know, believed in the war on terror and that weed made you a heroin addict. I remember thinking, I was like, this teacher's high. She's talking about deep time. Fucking, I wish I could go back in time and kick my own teeth in. 
Um, but I just, it's still in my mind. I just remember her saying, and she seemed so old at the time. And I look back, she was probably my age now, but she was like, you guys can't even comprehend deep time. And, you know, we're all giggling about nipples. So of course we can't comprehend deep time. I still can't. Um, but deep time is, the definition is actually pretty great. Deep time. Deep time definition. I know there's not. What does deep time mean? Yeah. Deep time refers to the time scale of geologic events, which is vastly, almost unimaginably greater than the time scale of human lives and human plants. I wonder if there's another definition. No, I don't want to see deep time in maps. Thank you. Deep time is a term coined by blah, 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 blah. The philosophical bubble is a good habitable earth. They have to get kinds of a concept. No. A deep time involves development of our of who we are. Is there no? No, I don't want news on deep time. How is how can there be a news about deep time? Well, this isn't going anywhere. Um, this solar rants off to a rough start. It is, for lack of a more eloquent phrasing, it is the shit you think about when you're high as fuck. I remember my buddy Joey in high school. I just moved back from Maine. Not, none of this is important. The point is, is I was about 17, and I just remember being high as fuck at Joey's house. His parents always let us smoke, which will, much to my parents' dismay, if they hear, oh, they don't give a shit. I'm an adult. But I remember I just moved back. That was also like... I could, Maybe it is important. So I moved to Maine my junior year of high school for my dad's job and like was just being an angsty teenager and angry that I lost all my friends. And then through the fucking planets lining, we ended up moving back to Georgia and I went back to the same high school and actually moved back into the same bedroom in the same house, which is just a weird glitch in the universe. Fucking uh, my friends and I always joked it was uh, it's the writer strike. It was the writers of this life, uh, they were on strike, and so they didn't have any great new ideas. So instead, they had to just rehash some old ones. Uh, Tommy moves back, and it was just it's just the same bullshit. It just based on nothing. Yeah, the writer strike. <laughs> um, it really, because I moved back into this same house. It, we, just, I mean, we hadn't sold it because we'd only been gone like seven months. Went back to these same, I mean, you know, I had moved several times when I was a kid, and you know, I remember that one was the one that like finally did it in for me. I was just like, I'm so tired of just like moving and never having any. And that's back when I thought that was the worst thing life could deliver. But it was just so sad and so upset. And I was just I had for the first time had decided not to even try to make new friends. I've always been able to make new friends because I've always been forced to. But I remember I didn't even try when I moved to I just lifted weights, put on like 40 pounds of muscle in a year. It was wild. But uh, yeah, I ended up moving back. It really was a glitch in the universe. But the point is, I remember I moved back and I wanted to really, I was like really soaking up my experience in Georgia again because I had taken it for granted. And I was like back with friends and for like four straight we weekends, right? When I moved home, because in high school, it was like maybe once every like four or five weeks, we'd be able to find some beer 
or find some pot. It was a very rare occasion. And I remember I just got to Joey Dis's house every weekend for like two nights every week. Oh, I just said his last name. Well, well, that's out there. And so I had gone, he doesn't give a shit. And so I'd gone there every night for, uh, or every weekend for like four weeks and for like three nights a week. I was just getting like fucked up at his house. Not doing anything bad. I was just sitting around a bonfire. But that was like the first time I ever had the realization that like, I was like, I'm doing this a little too much. I'm, I vividly remember one morning standing like next to my car, kind of like hung over, like, like looking at myself in like the, in the mirror reflection and just kind of looking crummy. And I was 17 and I remember then it was dawning on me. I was like, this isn't something you can do every weekend. This isn't something you should do every weekend. Not important because I continued to do it for several more years. The point is, I'll never forget, we had just come back from the pool. We'd eaten chicken salad sandwiches. And just, we just high out of our little minds. And I was sitting in like a, like a, like a kind of plasticky like beach chair, which got like the plastic straps. And there was like this like kind of old beat up table outside. I was like halfway in and out the garage. And it was like towards the end of the day. So it was like the sun was kind of setting, a little darker sky, not quite night. And I was reading, I think, a popular science article. And, uh, Cause I just like couldn't handle like re- reality was too much. I remember a plane had flown over and I was just like not able to handle not in like a bad way, but it was just like seeing a tube five miles up streaking across the landscape was just like a bit too much. And so I got sunk in this article and I remember learning about the term atto second, a T T O. And I don't remember what the purpose of the article was. If it was, if the article was about deep time or if it was just about like dinosaurs and it was just, it used that term in like a passing sentence. But I remember reading it and they go on to explain it out of a second. And I don't think the explanation is correct because I've since looked it up. But they said that an atto second is to one second what one second is to 300 million years. And it wasn't the whole atto second idea that, that got to me. It was really trying to grapple with 300 million years. And I still can't really comprehend it. When I first got into meditation in 2008, I didn't even know I was meditating. I think I was grounded for drinking. And so what I would do is I'd meditate because it was, for me, it was like a synthetic way of getting high. Ironically enough, I'd watch the Colbert Report and then I'd turn that off and I would sit on my futon and I'd look out the window and meditate. The futon that's actually in the other room. And which is weird. It's actually very weird to think about. This is my dad's desk. This used to be next to the Bowflex that I started working out on in 2003. What a weird echoes. But um, I remember I'd meditate and I would just think about like the scale of the universe. And I'd really try to 
feel it in my bones. It's like when you tell yourself things are going to get better versus when you actually start feeling it. Like the podcast is going to succeed. It's going to succeed. It's going to work. I know it's going to work. And you're saying it because you refuse to give in to the negativity in your mind. That's like, no, it's not. You're not special. Go get a normal job. You fucking loser. And you're working at a liquor store and it's raining outside and you fucking pulled the short straw. So you're outside with like two brooms taped together and you're putting up the magnetic letters on the sign. Jack Daniels now 10% off. <sighs> and you fucking have two tank tops on to keep your fat from pouring out. And you're looking at cars tear by 10 years younger than you. People laughing and you're like, where did I go wrong? Well, I went, you know, it's very easy to find out where I went wrong with pills and booze and pot, but like, you tell yourself it's going to get better, not because you actually believe it, but because saying the incantation, things won't get better, is the final surrender. It's like they say the last, a person truly dies the last time someone ever says their name. To me, saying this is not going to get any better, I'm fucked. It's the final, it's the final death now. It's a death knell that no one else can give you but yourself. They can destroy you. They can defeat you. But the final death knell itself is signing the surrender papers. You can fight to the death. Hitler can kill himself. But to me, the final true death knell is voluntarily saying it's over. Which is, I mean, important for things like sports or something where it's, you know, the character of a man is on how he is in defeat or whatever the fuck. But it's when you don't even believe it. But you still say it because a part of you wants it to be true. That's the importance of never saying, I give up or it's over, it's not going to work. Is even if you don't believe it and you're fooling nobody, especially not yourself because you're the person who doesn't believe it, by saying it is going to work, I am going to succeed. You're refusing to give up that last inch of your kingdom that is your own mind and your own free will. You're, you're, you're refusing to cede that territory. Because even if you don't believe it, the very fact that you're still saying I'm going to succeed means that there is some spark. There is some shimmer of light inside of you that's still pushing forward and it's refusing to quit. It almost like, it's almost like a separate part of you. Cause you don't even believe your party is mad at yourself. You're like, why are you telling yourself that it's not good, that you're going to win? Like, how dare you? Like, just put me out of my misery. But a little part of you that just says, no, it's not over. Even as you're sitting there, your shoes are soaked with water because the cars are driving by hitting the mud and you're fucking putting up half off on Jack Daniels and going, I'm making after tax at six bucks an hour, what the fuck am I doing? But I still have the nerve to to go out on my break and email people saying, will you please do my podcast? Do you know how many times I followed uh, customers out of the uh, liquor store and asked them to do my podcast, but I'd follow them outside so that I was technically outside of the building because I didn't want my boss to like fire me for conducting my own business or some shit. And I also don't think he liked me a whole lot. So I had to act like I was taking the, like carrying the groceries out, which worked if it was an old lady, but not so much if it was some dude my age. And I'd walk outside and be like, by the way, I've got a podcast. And they'd all look at me like, hey, that's nice. No one ever followed up. No one ever responded to a text, which is just 
I was just some unhinged guy like, hey, by the way, listen, I know we're in the middle of this whole pandemic. You got to remember, this is October 2020. We're in a pandemic. And I'm like, I'm trying to email people about vaccine injury. And they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Um, But the point is, is that's telling yourself it's going to succeed without feeling it in your bones. Feeling it in your bones is when all of a sudden, like, you break a thousand views for the first time. Or like a thousand subscribers. Or you get some like genuine organic feedback that's not friend, family, or whatever. And somebody that's just like, hey, dude, love the podcast. I watch a lot of podcasts. You've got an interesting take. Even just something tiny like that. And you or if you see someone else, which takes a long time and is very rare, but when you would see your podcast pop up somewhere, hey, this interview happened here with so and so. Even if it's just on a Reddit thread somewhere. That's when you start to feel it in your bones. So with deep time or the size of the universe, it's very hard to feel it in your bones. You know that you know it's large and you know that you don't know how large it is. You know that you can't comprehend it. You know, drink one Powerade. Okay, have a beer, have 10 beers. Like, you're very aware of the difference between one beer and 10 beers. It, that's night and day. I mean, literally, it's, that's blackout sleeping. Not 10. I mean, you can do more than that. Don't be a pussy. I am Irish. But you can't really comprehend, like, how many beers have you drank in your life? Like, it doesn't really, like, I don't know. I've often thank, thank, thought, like, I wonder how much alcohol I've drank. And, like, I really wouldn't know. Like, have I drank, I don't know, like a floor-to-ceiling box of 30-packs. Or if I stacked four boxes next to each other and formed like a, a cube and then stacked those four to the ceiling. Like, I don't know. Have I drank a whole bedroom of beer? Probably. But I it also kind of starts to lose, because then I look back to like my freshman year of college and I'm like, I would almost believe you if you said you've drank an Olympic swimming pool of beer or if you've drank an SUV full of beer. Like, it's hard to, past a certain point, you kind of just drop off this edge of, like, I think it was Ari Shafir said when he first started to make money is when he realized just how much richer, really rich people are. Because it's like you go from going broke and then you have two successful years and all of a sudden you've got a million in your investment portfolio. And you're like, oh my God, I'm rich. And you think of how much richer you are compared to yourself that had 500 bucks. Let's say you had a thousand bucks. And you I've got a thousand times more than I used to. And then it starts to dawn on you what 80 billion is. It's 80,000 times your million. And your million is only a thousand only, but only a mil, only a thousand times more than your thousand dollars. The difference between you at your poorest and you doing well is a thousandfold. The difference between you doing well and twenty fifteen Bill Gates is eighty thousand. And then you go, I think he he said I forget what it was, but he was like, that's when you realize like, oh, like rich people are. Rich people are so much richer than just normally rich people than normally rich people are to just your average person. So it gets a different level of. So there's something about like feeling it in your bones. 
like I remember reading a Reddit thread of some kid who was, and he proved it. He did somehow prove it that he was like the son of like a billionaire investment banker or something. But it was like past a certain amount of money, like you can't quantify what your life is like. Like, do you want to have Blink One Eighty Two play in your living room on your eighteenth birthday? Like, you can now have that done. Do you want to be greeted at the airport by a head of state? Like, you can now have that done. And you start to kind of like leave this world. It's not like me working at a liquor store versus like me, like, you know, having this podcast privately funded is already a black and white lifestyle. I bought this microphone. I bought this Sony camera, this iMac. Like, it's just wild. Like, holy shit. Like, my life is indistinguishable. Not indistinguishable. Unrecognizable from what it was two years ago. And that was an increase of making like, that's maybe like a fivefold increase in like my income to what is still considered like below the average household income in the United States. But I'm single, no kids, no pets, no debts, no girlfriend, no wife, no exes, no, well, no exes, but no, no kids, no divorces, no college debts, no, I'm my own boss. So I am living like a king for myself. I couldn't provide for anybody though. Um, but and I try to wrap my head around I'm like what would it even be like to make a million like what would I do differently like I don't need a bigger apartment like would I, what, would I buy designer clothes why I'm already playing video games on like 4k like what am I going to go to 8k like what am I even if I had the money like would I go from an M1 iMac to like a Mac Pro M1 iMac was $3,000 and it's great. And it does the work for this pot and it still struggles. Like what would a $50,000 computer really do? But I don't do my episodes live. Why do I need with the processing go from one hour to 10 minutes? Like what, what is the, what is the actual, I'm, I'm already seeing diminishing returns. So the idea of feeling it in your bones so I remember my my thought process would go like this. Like every day after school in high school, I would walk my dog, Oscar, RIP, I love you, put him down in 2020. And this is all the way back in like 2005. I'd put him in his little wheelchair and I'd walk him out of our cul-de-sac and then partially up another road. It's maybe like a half mile. And then we'd walk back. It'd take like 30 minutes and he's running around sniffing everything. I love that dog so much. I miss you so much, Oscar. I always regret not bringing him on the podcast. I used to want to do that. And then I, I would always stop because I was like, I know that it would just make me really sad looking back at a video of him, even though I have videos of him. Point is, I love you, Oscar. But the point is, is like, I looked at like that walk. It wasn't like an exercise. It wasn't going at it, but just walking right 15 minutes up 15 minutes back in the morning when i would get in our jeep the jeep cherokee and you drive you're at that spot in maybe 30 seconds not even driving like a reckless teenager just pulling out of the driveway and whipping up the hill and i would use that as like perspective 15 minutes of just Kind of hear your sneakers on the pavement when you're walking off. Just, you know, it's 
things are still moving like slowly. Like you see a stop sign, and, like you're walking towards it for like a minute. It's not this like, boom. and I was like, that's 30 minutes of walking. We'll guess we'll say 15 up into the stop sign. 30 seconds in the car, if even, maybe 20. And not even speeding in the car. And I was like, wow, that, you know, that that's an, that's a noticeable difference. And then I would think, we drive for 40 minutes to get to school. And we're not slowing down. We're leaving this neighborhood. And we're getting on a freeway. We're doubling our speed. And it's still 40 minutes, even without traffic. And like, I'd really start to think about just the distance. Now, granted, we did live farther away from school than most. But like, I would think about that. And I'd be like, that's a fucking like, that is an odyssey of a journey. We don't think about it because you're just listening to music driving. My older brothers would always listen to ONA on XM radio. But I remember thinking, like, if I tried to, that, that would be like a week of tra like walking all day, every day, just to get there. I'd be blistered. I'd be sore. I'd be sunburned. But instead, you just whip there. Or if you're not driving, you just fall asleep. And I was like, good Lord. And then I started to think of what, what it was like whenever we would, you know, drive from like Georgia up to like when we moved to Maine and we like drove. And I was like, what is that? That was like two days, not just 40 minutes. And I was trying to like wrap my mind around that. And then my mind would shift to like flying. And how we could make that two-day journey. That two-day journey where for 12 hours a day, you're going at the speed that takes you 40 minutes to get to school. That takes you 30 seconds to get to that stop sign. That 30 seconds, which does take you 15 minutes of walking. Now flying, you can go from Portland to Atlanta in less than three hours. And then you start to like look at a globe and you realize Portland to Atlanta is just this little... It's your thumb and your pointer finger apart. It's just a little smidgen of the whole planet. You start thinking about like the circumference of the planet. And now you start to get into this like, oh, this world is e-fucking-normous. But the problem you have in making those leaps is that it's very easy to understand the, the gravity and the change from one of these paradigms to another, but very hard to keep them all in your mind. Like you can understand the difference between one beer and 10 beers. One beer is, you have it at dinner. 10 beers is like, you're feeling toasty. A hundred beers is, that's 10 nights of getting toasty. A thousand beers is that's maybe a, a a whole year of weekends of getting toasty. And you can understand the like jump between each one of each order of magnitude, but it's hard to keep all the orders of magnitude in your mind. It starts to lose value. Even like understanding the difference between a penny and a dime and a dime and a dollar and a dollar and ten dollars 
and ten dollars and a hundred. Like you can kind of like one dollar to you know from a slim gym to ten dollars. Oh, now I can get a meal, ten bucks to a hundred bucks. Oh, now I can you know buy fast food for all my friends for the weekend and get some beer. Ten dollars to a hundred dollars for a thousand dollars. So now we're talking about rent for my own apartment with two two bedrooms and a bathroom and a kitchen. A thousand to ten thousand. Oh, now you're looking at like a used car. You, you can kind of make these leaps. But if you ever try to then go back to the beginning, now ten thousand. Now what is that in like you know slim gyms? You're like ten thousand. You're like it, it. You just kind of your brain just because it doesn't it doesn't need it. It's like it's not designed for those orders of magnitude. And so, although I could understand the the walking to the driving, and then the driving for thirty seconds to forty minutes, from forty minutes to twelve hours for two days two days of 12 hour traveling to one three hour plane ride. Then looking and realizing that that was just a little sliver of the United States, not even the wide way, just the height, Portland, Atlanta, Portland, Maine. And then you start looking at like, Oh, all of North America. And then like the entire pole, like North pole to South pole. And then it starts getting into this, like, you start forgetting what, what's the difference between the walking and the driving and then the driving in the 40 minutes and the what, 12 hours or two days of 12 hours and then a plane. And it starts, you start fumbling them. You start forgetting like, you know, you're, you're in the $10,000 of a year of a used car or a year of an apartment. You start forgetting like the difference between like a dime and a quarter. It's these weird, you know, when you're on a freeway and you're doing 75 versus 80, it's it's kind of hard to like, or 70 versus 80, it's whatever. It's this, it's what, a, a less than, a, a little more than a 10% change in speed versus you go 10 miles an hour over in a neighborhood, like or the speed limit in this little apartment complex is like 15 miles an hour. You go 25, you feel it. You're, you're whipping by. You're like, I have to keep my eyes open. Like if someone comes out from a car, I'm going to kill them. Like, so there is like a weird disconnect between these orders of magnitude. When your plane is going, if you ever on like one of those planes where it has the TVs on the back of the seats and it has like flight data and you get going and you get going, you see the speed going up to like 100, 150, 200, you know, the whole thing shaking. And then you, you take off and you see everything flying by. And you go over a highway, and even when you're like going the same direction as cars, but you're still passing them, you're like, oh, we're going like three times the highway speed limit. And you're going 200 miles an hour. But then as you get up above the clouds and you see the thing now read 400 miles an hour, and then 20 minutes later, you're even higher and it now reads 600 miles an hour, it kind of loses its, its oomph. Because now you're just looking at these weird sort of abstract things like clouds and colors of distant landscape you're not looking at like street lights flying by you're not we've all done it when you're you're in your neighborhood and you just it's like two in the morning you just floor it you do like 60 in a place where the speed limit's like 15 it feels like i mean you feel like you're fucking like flying like jeez like everything that normally goes by at x speed you're just whipping like like lasers like mailboxes are just flying by but at a certain point, and then, and then you get up to like a plane going 600 miles an hour and you're like, oh, the speed of sound is what, 760. And then like, a, you know, maybe an F-15 going like 
I don't know, like a thousand miles an hour. I guess like Mach 1.5 and then like an F-22 can cruise at, at Mach 2. Like an SR-71 Blackbird's going at like Mach 3.3 and then like the X-15 going up to like Mach 7. And it starts to, again, you start to kind of lose any sort of like, what is this? And then you learn about like, I remember when I was little and like learning that the space shuttle went like orbital velocity. And I was like, wait, what the f- like Mach 23? Like what the fuck? And then you find out that like one of the Apollo missions got going to like Mach 32 or something. And it starts to like, you find a video of a, of a Bugatti doing 300 miles an hour and it's got a hundred million views. Cause you're like 300 in a car. Holy shit. But you take a shit go and go pop a pimple in the mirror in a plane while you're doing 600 miles an hour. You come back and watch some Rick and Morty then burp and your ears pop and you say, oh, I'll die Coke and I don't, I don't want the peanuts. No, thank you. And you're going twice out of a Bugatti, which has 100 million views. But you're not thinking about that. You're thinking about like this seat's too small. The air conditioner is not strong enough. So it's this weird disconnect between the orders of magnitude. I mean, I used to do this a lot when I would read about skyscrapers taking the world's tallest building title from one another. You started in like Chicago with the home life insurance building, I think in like 1880. And it's already wild. You'd have to really go back and appreciate what a 10 floor building was. I mean, this was 15 years after the Civil War. And it's 10. And I know they always had steeples, right? Churches were always very tall. And that was by design. It was to captivate the mind. You go and you're thinking like maybe some like wealthy plantation owner might have like a three-story house. And then you're like, this thing is 10 stories tall. Like that would have seemed almost like divine. And it's got this thick limestone facade and glass windows. And it's not even like this weird topsy-turvy Ron Weasley house. It's this big uniform and it's 10 floors. You know, this is 20 years before Model T's were driving around. Like, that captivates the mind. And then you see something take its title, like the Singer Building, which I think was New York. And you have things like the Woolworth Building. Or like, and then you start jumping up more and more to 20 stories. And you're like, dude, we just did a doubling of that gigantic thing. And you're like, you're really trying to understand, like, you know, just compare it to a human going up. And you're like, this is beyond... And each floor is like a whole house and there's 10 of them in the footprint of one building. And then it goes up to like 30 floors. And then you get to like the Flatiron building or something. And then like the Chrysler, 1,047 feet. And you're like, what the fuck? And, but even those start to lose their weight because they're now surrounded by other buildings that are 10, 20, 30, 40 floors tall but they're no longer the tallest. But these are just like artificial man-made inhabitable canyons, habitable, inhabited, inhabited canyons. And you're like, dude, what? You're like, what the fuck? And then like the Empire State Building usurps the Chrysler Building by almost 200 feet, I think to the top of the like Coppola thing, whatever the fuck it's called, is 1,250 that's 203 feet higher. I think maybe the Chrysler Tower is 1,046. Four feet, 254, 204 feet taller. 
And then that one kind of makes sense because that one stays the tallest. But then, like, the World Trade Center is going to 1350. And those don't even do that spire bullshit. It's just straight up. And then the Sears Tower. And then Taipei 101. And then the Burj Khalifa. And you're like, what the... Like, what is... And it starts to, like, break your head. Because, like, you don't now... you Now you don't appreciate that 10-story... I live in a three-story apartment building. I'm on the second floor. Whatever. You're like... I'm moving to a place where I'm going to be on the fifth floor. Like, that's that's crazy in historical sense. Versus now, it's just like, yeah, whatever, fuck. And so I'd start to think about, like, the size of the earth and, like, a plane and how many hours it would take. to. And it's like, wait, so the thing that took me 30 minutes to walk, you can do in 40 seconds in a car or 30 seconds in a car. That same car takes me 40 minutes to get to school. That same speed on that freeway getting me to school takes 12 hours, two days, two separate sun sunrises to get to Maine. And now I can fly from Maine to Atlanta in three hours. And then you go, and that's only a little smidgen from Portland to Atlanta. What about all of America? What about all of North America? What about the entire like hemisphere? What about the circumference, which I guess would be the same North to South versus uh, the circumference. And then you start going like, well, how fucking far is the moon? And then you like, you start to work that out. What is that? Like a quarter million miles or something. And you're like, and the Apollo program, and then yeah, sorry, then you go to the SR seventy one, the F twenty two, the SR seventy one, the X fifteen, and then you start looking at like the orbital velocity, and then going faster than that Apollo, and then even at orbital velocity, it still takes well over a day. And then you're like, wait, what? The the thing that, the thing that took me two full days to go from Atlanta to Portland, I can now do in three hours, and then there's something that's a hundred times faster than that, but it takes a day, and that's just to get to the moon. And then you realize, like, we're 93 million miles from the sun. And you're like, wait, what? And it's like, okay, so the Earth, this unimaginably large thing, if it were a grain of sand, like, the sun would be the size of, like, a medicine ball in an end zone, and we would be on, like, the 30-yard line or something. And I always used to think about that, specifically, like, the football field at the high school I went to. And I used to imagine, like, if you just got down on, like, you know, put your face like once one the side of your face up against like the 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 turf, and I used I always just used to imagine like zooming in almost like a bug's life or like some Pixar shit, like the tops of the leaves, and just imagine like a grain of sand. Just think of the tiniest grain of sand on like under your thumbnail, and just pop, it just flies out. And I used to just think of that like floating, kind of like brushing against the tops of the pieces of grass. And then way off in the distance, you see like a, just a big red medicine ball. And it's like, that's the sun. And this unimaginably tiny grain of sand is now something that would take like 30 hours in a plane to do a circumference around. The plane ride back to Portland, to Atlanta, to the car ride, to the, to the drive to school, to the fucking stop sign back home, to the walking Oscar. And it's, it starts to like like an accordion. Your brain starts to pull apart. And then it was like, and Pluto would be a mile away. Like that would be not even on this football field. That would be like an one exit down I-85. And then because that's just how far it is from the sun, it's, it's, 
its orbit would then be twice that, right? The radius to the diameter. And you're like, what the fuck? And then you go, so now the whole solar system is a two-mile in diameter sphere. That two miles, and now you do full circle. Now you're like, and that would take me 30 minutes to walk. And now we're talking about a scale of a sphere in which a grain of sand is the earth. And then you you crank out the numbers and go, and then if, now if you shrunk the entire solar system, not just our star, but if you shrunk our entire solar system down to the size of a marble, you put it on the 50-yard line at this football field in Atlanta, Georgia, and you've already lost all meaning of that. Despite walking through it, your brain's no longer addressing these spheres within spheres of that's a two mile, that's a two mile diameter sphere in which a grain of sand is the earth, in which that earth would take 20 hours in a plane to go around the circumference, a plane that would take three hours to go Atlanta to, to Portland. That would take two full days of driving, driving that takes 40 minutes to get to school. That same driving takes you 30 seconds to get to that stop sign, which takes you 30 minutes to walk with your dog. Like you've already lost it, but if you can hold on to it, that whole sphere, a two mile wide sphere in which the earth is a grain of sand. If you shrunk that sphere down, and this is where I'm not sure if I'm remembering the analogy correctly, but it still fucking melts your head. If that whole sphere is the size of a marble, Put it on the 50-yard line of that ice. And, I, and this is literally what I used to go through in my head in like 2008. This is how I'd meditate. Before I knew it was meditation, I was just trying to get high. The nearest star would be Alpha Centauri or Proxima Centauri. In it, I remember I, I, you could, there used to be a website where you could calculate it. It would be sitting in the middle lane of a, of what, it'd be sitting on like the middle median pavement or concrete divider of the Golden Gate Bridge. What? And then that's just a second star in our galaxy. And it's just like, what? wait, what? And those are four light years apart. And our galaxy is 100,000 light years across. And so then I remember calculating if from my house to where I went to school was a hundred thousand light years. If that was the galaxy, then driving from my house to school would be like driving through fog, not even a rainstorm where every raindrop is a star, but driving through fog where that indistinct 
abstract haze is full of droplets. And each droplet is that two mile in diameter sphere in which that two mile diameter sphere, a grain of sand is the earth. That would take 20 hours to fly around, three hours of Atlanta to Portland, two days of driving in the car, 40 minutes driving to school, 30, 30 minutes walking to that stop sign. And now that same drive to school at 40 minutes through a fog that you'd have to put your windshield wipers on because it does get dewy and droplets on your on your windshield. In each one of those indistinct drops or dots is that two-mile diameter solar system model. That galaxy, just like Ari Shafir said, you know, you have $1,000 and then you get a million dollars and you realize you have a 1,000 times what you used to have. And then you realize that Bill Gates has a thousand times what you have at your richest. If there's a hundred billion stars in our galaxy, that fog from driving from suburban Atlanta to Atlanta to get to school, just to visualize one galaxy. Now take that whole galaxy galaxy that we're driving through for three quarters of an hour that is already at the upper limits of this entire analogy of, of space turn that into one of those droplets in the fog and now that drive if I remember correctly if you calculate it that now comes out to the observable universe in each of those droplets in the fog that you can't even see, you can only see once a thousand of them have smashed together and formed a water droplet, each of those is a galaxy that was just at the height of this analogy or our scale. And then that is the observable universe. That's what we can see. And it's very hard to maintain scale in your head as you move through these. I didn't just now. It's hard to. But I would do this every night. And finally, every once in a while, there would be some weird anomaly and your brain would maintain the scale. And it it's like that same weightless feeling when you were like a kid and you found out the girl you liked also liked you. It was like that. And you just realize how big it all is. And that's just space. Not time. So then you factor in space time and how if all the entire universe was a year the lifetime of the universe was a year, then Homo sapiens would be the last second of the last minute of the last hour of the last day of the year. 
And now you take that universal calendar scale and apply it to that hour drive through a mist of galaxies. And that is what composes our observable universe, which, why the fuck would that be the end? That was the early sort of iterations of meditative peace I found. And then over the years, as I would do that more and more, I found myself, I would stop, I would slowly get distracted and stop thinking about those. And instead I would just like focus on like my breath and my existence. And that's actually how I got into meditation. It was kind of an accident. And then, th then there's a whole another rabbit hole of meditation. If you think that blows your mind, well now fuck space and time because those are ideas. What about the observer? What about that which doesn't think just is? And then that is a whole another accordion mind expansion inwards or outwards. But it's one of those things that's like terrifying, but if you can walk up to it and really wrap your head around it, it's completely liberating. And it's, I don't think apathy is good and I don't think it's good to bury your head in the sand, but I also think there's value to keeping things in perspective. You know, you shouldn't just hold a grudge against your best friend and be like, well, whatever, I'm just on one droplet in the galaxy and the thingy and it's, no, that's not good. But at the same time, you know, don't let a grudge with a best friend ruin the rest of your life. If a relationship fell through and it's just not the same person anymore, move on with your life. I, I also get that. I get it on a human level. But I always try to go back to these perspectives. And it does... It allows you to maneuver this world of great resets and depopulation and are the wealthy going to transcend and become transhumans and is there going to be nuclear war and is my podcast going to succeed? And it does allow you to, you can abuse it. You know, a knife can be used to stab your grandma or to put butter on bread. So it depends how you use it, but you can, you can use it as a, in moderation, a way to not let the current moment on this current section of this planet overwhelm you. That doesn't mean hide your head in the sand and say none of this matters because we're just a droplet in the fog on the sand particle in the football field. Say that to somebody, they'd be like, are you having a stroke? But It does allow you to back up just a little bit. And be a little detached from it. And it's important to not look at it because a, a one slippery slope is once you can get that whole scale in your head and then you realize you're just one of 7 billion humans, you're like, I'm just a a self-replicating like piece of bacterial shit on the underside of a, of a table. And you can look at it that way. And that's a very dark and realistic way. And it will ultimately lead to a worse place where you say, I wish I never knew that.
Or there's another way to look at it. Of this entire creation, of this entire existence, you get to be conscious of it. The stars don't have dreams. Moons don't get to marvel at the size of it all. The ocean doesn't get to blow its mind thinking about comparing walking a dog to, you know, a trip to school. You get to experience it. You're the observer. You can, like, put down Twitter or Instagram and just go stand outside for even a second at night and just go look up at the pinpricks and realize that, oh, we're not just in Earth in the year 2022 and Biden's the president. And like, no, wait, dude, we're, a, we're on a fucking rock. In nothingness. And it's just waves of... Uh, it just relaxes you. That's also... And then it can lead you down a road of nihilism, which I went down for a bit, but you can come out on the other side and then what you start to realize, you're like, amongst all of this, on the universal calendar where we're the last second or the minute of the hour, the whatever the fuck, and how we're just on a grain of sand in the football field then San Francisco, Golden Gate Wall, whatever the fuck and as meaningless as this all is on the surface level I'm able to have the funniest inside jokes with my friends I'm able to fall in love I'm able to enjoy a Reese's cup. I'm able to enjoy the kick of a cup of coffee or that nice face glowing buzz of a tumbler of whiskey. Like we are living in Whoville where it zooms in on the snowflake. You don't look at it as though it's just a snowflake. There's an entire History, you can get married and have kids and a home and a dog and go to work and have friends and a heartbreak and excitement and laughter and crying and you can watch the Super Bowl and you can share stupid memes on Facebook and you can get in an argument with your fucking cousin and you can buy new slippers or have an ice pop or whatever to eat healthy and what, what, what do you want to do? You can go do push-ups or check the mail or... You know, go just enjoy like an October evening, just standing outside. It's just windy. Or just like that nice kind of hot glow of a summer night where you stand out there and it's just right. And it is so like magnificently meaningful that in this cross-section of a single frame of a 60 FPS trillion year long movie, on a grain of sand in the football field and the fucking star, whatever. You can still enjoy something tiny like putting your feet up and playing a video game, hearing the Xbox turn on. Doo -doo. 
me clickety clackety clickety clackety. We'll go get a cold Powerade out of the fridge or something. Or a piece of gum. We're whipping around in a car, listening to a playlist with Post Malone and Blink-182 and Eminem. Like, that's fucking... We can't do that on the other side of the universe. Not that we know of. Which then makes me start to think, like, I don't think this game is... I don't think you're supposed to find the edges of the map. This isn't Grand Theft Auto where you can find the edges. It's like an invisible wall. It goes for it. And that that was weird going out to size outwards. I mean, we didn't even go inwards all the way to like plank space and plank foam. That's even wilder. That'll, That'll melt your fucking mind. If you look at like the total orders of magnitude from plank space up into the observable universe, we are actually closer to the end of the spectrum near the observable universe than we are Planck space. Like if it's a seesaw, like we are actually like we're however many orders of magnitude up to the observable universe. What I just spent 30 minutes describing the travel downwards is actually like, it's like one and a half or two times as long in terms of orders of magnitude. It fucking melt your head. And that's just as low as we can see, just like the observable universe is as far as we can observe this plank, plank space is just it's the smallest possible space. It's the amount of time it takes, which is then there's plank time, which is right now plank time is the smallest, shortest unit of time because it's the amount of time it takes for the fastest thing, the speed of light to cross the smallest thing, plank space. And that's plank time, I think. And then there's plank temperature, which is when there's like plank heat and shit where the universe breaks. But all these like sort of limits of the map, if you will. I don't think we're supposed to, I don't think it's like the Truman Show where we're supposed to like hit the wall and go through the door. I don't think it's, that's the purpose. I think it just goes forever. And then if you're in the Truman Show, all the, all Truman did was walk out into the life that we are now in where he's like, so this is it. And you're like, Hey, no, you got to watch this Tommy's podcast episode where he talks about the size of the universe. You had it made in the Truman Show, dude. At least that was fucking, at least there were some like delineations between what was and what wasn't. Now you're in the real Truman Show. We have no idea what the fuck's going on. Like, I don't think the purpose is to find the edge. I don't think you can. I think if it's a simulation or if it's just your own mind, I think you will just keep creating things forever because that's not the purpose. You'll always find a smaller subunit. It'll just go for it. It'll get more and more abstract. And instead of being particles or just, you know, waves and then it's wave functions and then it's just like vibrational frequencies and shadows of dimension. Like it's just it it gets again, it's poor writing is really what it is. It's just poor writing. I mean, even the even the you get to the multiverse, that's poor writing. Then what happens? And then there's a bunch of them. What? You mean like how there's multiple stars and then there's star there's multiple planets around it really is. It it is poor writing, right? You go from counties to states to countries to continents to hemispheres to planets to planets around the star to stars to stars in a in a local in a fucking local grouping or a local neighborhood and then there are nebula and then there are arms of the galaxy and then there's the galaxy then there's the local the local group and then there's the cluster the super cluster and then I think it's called galactic firmaments then it's like large scale you know, voids and, and filaments and shit. And it's, and then that turns in, it really is poor writing. All it is, is just multiplicity. There is no unique shit about it. Seconds to minutes, to hours, to days, to weeks, to months, to years, to decades, to centuries, to millennia. It's, it's, 
it is poor writing. Nothing against the the devs of the this game, but like you you phoned it in. I don't think there's any like real purpose to the scale. If anything, the answer is it's like what Terrence McKenna said: the the purpose of life isn't to find the answer; it's to face the answer. So the scale of both time as well as space, both outwards and inwards, and I don't mean in like a soul thing, I mean like, because that's a whole nother fucking paradigm, which is wilder than all the other ones combined, but space in terms of getting larger all the way down to like Planck space, and then of course, you know, the real big tuna, what the fuck is experience, which it can't be defined. Spoiler alert, though, that is the answer to all of it. The purpose of mapping these things out and trying to find them is in the mapping out of their immense size is awesome. It is, it is, it induces awe of God, of the creator, of the universe, or whatever the fuck you want to call it. And it's not about finding that Truman Show wall. It is about the knowledge that like an Excel spreadsheet, you just zoom out and zoom out forever. You are to be in awe at its magnitude, in absolute awe of this lad, right? In absolute awe at the size of this lad. It is supposed to be, it's supposed to be absolute units. You're supposed to just be in awe at the size of this lad. That is the the purpose of the scale, is to show you that there is infinity. And you can look at it forever and eventually you realize there is no Eventually, it starts to dawn on you that the Earth is a sphere. And you're like, we've been traveling in this direction for 80 years. We've passed the Eiffel Tower 80 times. I don't think those are copies. I think this is the same fucking, I think we've been here before. You know, arguing about directions. You're like, dude, we've passed that sign. So then it's about, about what? It's the thing we all know. It's about enjoying the journey. And that is, there is beauty in that. It eventually does all the signs eventually when you look at the size of the universe outwards and inwards on the space scale as well as time scale eventually they all start to coalesce into mirrors and what they're all telling you is look inward because the answer is not out here it is in and then once you realize they're all becoming mirrors and I should stop looking outwards and start looking inwards, you realize that looking outwards is looking inwards. It's what Alan Watts says. All you see out in front of you is how you feel inside your head. Or as Ram Dass would say, you're standing on a bridge over a river, watching yourself go by. There is no out there and in here. What you see is you. I am you. You are me. It's not that we meet people and, you know, there's like a quote, like when you meet like an impatient person, really, that's your soul telling you that this is your impatience being manifested. No, no, it is you. There is nothing else. It's all you. Every problem in the world is you. It's all you. Every bit of evil, every bit of peace, every bit of love and fear and hatred and creativity and boredom and jerking off on a Saturday and eating Taco Bell or climbing a hill and, you know, meditating at dawn. It's all you. 
and looking in a microscope at the smallest possible thing or looking through a telescope at the largest possible thing is just another form of looking in the mirror and seeing you. And the more you look in a mirror, you realize you've already seen it. So all there is to do is to become conscious of being conscious. You are here right now. There is. And that's all you can be sure of is that this exists. It might all be a simulation or fabrication in your mind. It makes no difference because I still am. I mean, it really is some like biblical shit, like I am that I am. So what do you do with that information? Nothing, that's bliss. You're, there's nothing to do. There's nothing going on. Every karma unfolding and every universal timeline and plot and the hero's journey, none of it needs to be done. The earth doesn't need to make another revolution around the sun, but it's going to, but it doesn't need to. There's no end goal. There's no final form. There's no final evolution. It's all just going on because what else is there to do? And that's beautiful. That's all I got. And then the hilariousness of all hilarities. And I'm about to do an episode with George Webb and we're going to start screaming about Henry Kissinger and we're going to forget about this cosmic place. But it doesn't matter. Because like a, like a system going to disorder or entropy or like a fire burning out or like throwing balls up a half pipe and it all eventually comes and settles back down in the center. You eventually, you come back down to here and now. And then you'll go and do it again and you'll run off into the woods and live a life and come back. But you eventually, as Ram Dass says, you come back to the bonfire that is here and now. And then you can go run off and become someone. You can go be Napoleon or Hitler or discover something. Hey, you can do it for a thousand lifetimes. You could be a god. You could become. You could become uh, uh, Anubis or Christ or Buddha or whatever. You could become a, a glacier. You could become a rock. You could move over millennia. Oh, uh, that—that's an idea I had for another one. I meant to write down, in terms of deep time. I was thinking, like, what if mountain ranges are alive? That's what inspired this whole podcast. I wrote down a note last night, like, three in the morning. I thought of before I went to bed. What if mountain ranges were alive and they were fighting each other? But it just took 100 million years to throw a punch. So what we thought was a ridgeline was actually, like, the Appalachians trying to throw an uppercut to the uh, Rockies. That was the purpose of this whole podcast. And I forgot to say it to the very end. Well, anyway, that's all I got. Fuck Twitter.